episode 39 of Beards, Business, and Balls. As always, our show is presented by Anchor. Go download the free Anchor app or head over to anchor.fm to get started. Today, Jake Zimmer and Will Tonda. We've got Bryant head coach Jared Grasso on the show this week. Great dude, friend of the show, friend of mine, now friend of Will's and a friend of the program. Will, I think we talked about this last week. You said something very relatable right now um if we're looking back at it that you wouldn't be surprised at all if it's a bills bucks super bowl and you got half of that that's pretty nuts right yeah i the bills i mean the bills did not show up the jitters were there i knew the chiefs were going to win i thought the bills were going to cover it's unfortunate because i was really riding on the bills not only because hanold's a huge friend uh, a huge fan and I wanted to support a friend because I had no stake in the game. But the Chiefs, man, that team, it's they are going to dominate for years to come. And they weren't that great of a team. I mean, they were a great team all season, but they didn't have that many convincing wins. They showed up with a turf toe, banged up Pat Mahomes the fastest guys in the world in Tyreek Hill and Mecole Hardman, a unbelievable defense and Travis Kelsey, who's arguably one of the best tight ends we've ever seen. Like we'll get into the Super Bowl predictions, but wow. Yeah. Like, just I wow. mean, that team just has the it factor. They have the X factor. They I don't know what factor. it is because it's, it's just every single person on that team is so good. I don't understand. It. They had this dude Pringle, like that came out of nowhere last year, and how he's like every single guy on this Chiefs roster is absolutely incredible, and they showed up. You know, and they're they, not full of superstars necessarily, but now arguably, you know, the way they've been playing, they kind of are superstars. It's crazy. They have those guys for years to come. For yep. years to come. I mean, besides Pat Mahomes, they locked in Travis Kelsey and Frank Clark and a lot of their linemen for the next couple of years. Clyde edwards Elair is on a four-year rookie contract. Like, they are rolling. And everyone's like, oh, it's Mahomes again, like, already. <laughs> Mahomes is 25. He's 25 years old. He's going to be doing this for so many years. If you think about – His best football has it we haven't even seen yet. No, that's a thing. If, if you think about how much longer he has to give this game, if it's anything like people like Tom Brady, who we'll talk about a lot next week when we go over the Super Bowl, it's – kind of insanity that he's 18 years younger than Tom Brady and he's going to meet him in the Super Bowl for the first time uh, in a couple of weeks. So Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Mahomes versus Brady. That's crazy. What a wild week of the NFL. We'll dive into that a little bit later, but let's start off as we do every episode with the cheers. Let's drink some beer. Yes, we will. This week, I... I'm drinking a beer from a new brewery in Providence, Rhode Island, Moniker Brewery. Brewery. Um, they're not fully open yet. They're still getting the kinks out, but they have some cans available. Um, we've been in contact with them. They might be a potential guest in the near future. We'll have to uh, see and keep you posted, but grabbed a couple cans, chatted with them for a couple minutes last week. And the beer that I will be talking about this week is Cosmic Intoxication. It's a Imperial Double IPA, and it is brewed with 
uh, Citra and Mosaic, obviously the regular staples, the, the fan favorites. And it's 9%. So obviously with the double, it's a little bit heavy, but it wasn't too heavy. You know, it still came out very light. Um, it didn't, you know, hit you right away, even though it was a 9%. It was a, it was a flavorful, flavorful beer. Um, they're going to have good stuff, you know, for their first batch of cans and their first, you know, the first few beers in their portfolio. It was, it was solid. There was a lot of potential there. I enjoyed it. I mean, I'll definitely go to them again. And I have a couple more beers that I'd like to try uh, from the, what they offer. But so far, so good. It's located, uh, I forgot the actual address, but it's right near the um, Belton Street, yeah, it's right near Bayberry Beer Hall, which is obviously one of our fa uh, favorites. Beer on Earth is right around the corner. So a lot of good stuff there. Giving it a 375. Uh, can't wait to try some more. But in terms of Providence news in beer, I am very excited about the near future of where we live because there are going to be two breweries that we are pretty, pretty fans of in Revival and Providence Brewing Company in walking distance from our apartment. So please send your prayers now. Uh, it is the last time there was beer that close in walking distance was the Rhode Island Beer Festival, which was a year ago. Uh, was it a year today? ago this week? Yeah. It was a year ago today. Yeah. That's nuts. So, and we left there mangled and buckled so obviously you know we have to tie to, uh, tone it down a little bit when you go to a brewery but very exciting news uh revival was originally in cranston they have incredible food uh they're going to a bigger location right in providence they have fantastic art uh with all of their cans and they just also have very uh, different types of beer. You know, you have your, your, your typical IPAs and your lagers and your stouts, but they kill the sour game. They kill all of the flavor beers um, and all of their marketing is just A plus, A plus. So very excited to have a revival around the corner. And then Providence Brewing Company, they are another brewery that uh, very relatable people, uh, good conversational people. We went to Providence Brewing Company a few times, but one time in particular, we stopped down and we talked to one of the brewers there for like a good hour and a half. And he gave us tips of the trade on what works, what doesn't work, what we need to improve on. Very, very friendly. Uh, he gave us samples of a bunch of beers too. So great people over there. They're rebranding. Um, they have some new beers in store. They had some hardships with their location in the pandemic, but they're bouncing back big. And we're excited to have them in our neighborhood. So two breweries that you'll be hearing a lot from us and hopefully we can possibly get them on the show in the near future as well. Yeah, those two will both be located on Sim Street in Providence that is in the, the West End area, kind of close to Upper South in between Federal Hill, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Sim Street in Providence right off Valley Street. Can't wait to have both of them there. Um, I will be reviewing something from Connecticut today from New Park Brewing Company. This was given to um, this was given to me as a little bit of a sample from one of my buddies, uh, craft beer aficionado dad. Shout out John Capola. Spectrum, it's called. Now he told me when he poured this. This guy is the the biggest. Um, he's the biggest craft beer nerd ever. He gets a lot of treehouse and a lot of vintage stuff, and he said this is the most comparable comparable IPA to Treehouse that I've ever had. I go, yeah, bullshit. Let's find out. Took a sip and was very impressed with it. Um, 
Now, New Park is saying that they brew it with white, red, and flaked wheat, heavily hopped with two of their favorite American and Australian hops, which they don't disclose because I guess they don't want to give the recipe away. Um, notes of crushed Concord grape, dank melon, pineapple, and passion fruit. Thought it was very fruity and almost, you know, when you whiff a treehouse beer, it smells kind of piney or something. I don't really know what that smell is, but you can tell when you smell a really good IPA, you're like, that's going to be fucking delicious. Um, got the factor with Spectrum. I gave it a 4.25. Really liked New Park Brewing Company. And that's from an area in Connecticut that is just weirdly exploding with really good craft beer right now. You talk about Fox Farm, who has been in some polls rated number one in New England. I mean, come on, that's out of nowhere. So that area is just kind of trading some recipes and some, some hops and some secrets and stuff. So watch out, Northwestern Connecticut on the scene, on notice, putting the world on notice with their craft beer. Um, New Park Brewing Company, check them out. They are located in West Hartford, Connecticut. Shout out our friend, Matt Lee, who's from West Hartford. Hmm. Um, let's go into some business now. As we mentioned, our, our guest today is Bryant men's basketball coach, Jared Grosso. Great dude. We talk a lot about his background and his upbringing into basketball. Uh, that'll come right after our business segment today. So if you trade stocks or if you keep up with the business market in any way, shape, or form, you probably looked this week and said, what the hell is going on with GameStop? They made big news this week when their stock price, you know, it's going up steadily and up steadily and up steadily. And all of a sudden it's up well over a hundred percent of what it used to be. Um, my first reaction was, why is this happening? Because they're more than likely to going to lose money this year and next year. They're losing out on all these brick and mortar sales because of the shutdowns, because of getting run out by online retailers. But on, somehow, the stat came out today, they are the most actively traded stock on Twitter as of today, which is, you know, as we're recording this Monday, January 25th, it's absolutely insane, and we think we know why. Um, the subreddit that everybody's been trading stocks on and whatnot, it's a targeted effort from a group of day traders coming from that subreddit to pump that stock, delay and mitigate the inevitable losses, and effectively short-squeeze the stock into making some money. Now, I don't think I've seen anything quite like this. That's literally insane that GameStop was over a hundred bucks and let alone they got up to, I think around 140. That's absolutely insane. How is this not illegal? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's my first, my first thought process of this because it just, this is going to go down a very slippery, slippery slope mm -hmm. where you when you ha start having this like cult following in these large social media accounts or platforms driving up a certain stock and company that clearly is not doing well no they no. weren't doing well pre-pandemic either i mean they are you know you know gamestop as the typical like Oh yeah, I just bought this Xbox, but I like to return it. It's like, oh yeah, the best I can do is like $29.99 plus <laughs> in-store credit. Like they are just not a good company whatsoever. And you know, when you're buying games, one, you can buy games all online now. You know, you don't even have to go to a store. You can just, if you have 
any gaming console that has plenty of storage, you can just download right there. It's slow, but you still have to, you still can. Or you just get it at your typical Target, Walmart, um, buy on Amazon, Amazon, yeah. So they were already on the downhill anyway, but this is, like I said, slippery slope in, in the fact that they can drive, like any cult following right now can just drive up prices and just make a huge profit. The same Reddit stream did it with AMC and Bed Bath & Beyond, both companies that are not doing well whatsoever. So it's hard because it's like ethically, you don't want to follow along, but the money's there. You know. I mean, we, is this like, <laughs> is somebody going to crack down? Like, is that the SEC that regulates that? I don't even know. Like, are these people going to get arrested? I mean, it's possible. It's very, very possible. Like, what crimes did they commit, though? Is that like, is, is this a crime? I have no idea. I guess like, it's not crime? because like, they don't have any, you know, they're not insider trade. It's not like they are um a chairman of the board or on the board or an executive within the company they are just a group of individuals that are just driving up the price to benefit everybody and it's it's crazy it is actually absurd like when i saw this because i read this yesterday you added it on the um on the docket to talk about it's like how like the first question was just like how and you know, reading into it, it's like this is this is going to be a dangerous, dangerous dark line this year if that's going to be the case. Yep, I agree. And like, what's next? You know, what other failing business do they take next? Do they take some cruise company that is going to foreclose itself? Do they take you know? You mentioned AMC, um, man. I mean, this is, this is not good. <laughs> this might not be good for the future of day trading and things like that. No. So I don't know. GameStop is, in case you were wondering, right now, let's look at some numbers. They were, they were trading at 144 today, but they started off trading in the you know $10 to $20 area for, I mean, months. We're talking, you know, October, we're looking at $11.82. November, $13.90. And then all of a sudden, you know, it starts to creep up 17, 18, 19 bucks. And then <laughs> all of a sudden, last week, it just goes up to, <laughs> to like out of nowhere, 60 bucks. Isn't that crazy? And then today it hit 144. It hit 144 and it's back down as we're recording this to 87. Um, man, I mean, that's still over the past week. If you started off last week investing in GameStop, you literally almost doubled your money. Actually, no, you more than doubled your money. Hmm. Absurd. Absurd. Absurd it is. So keep your eyes out for more short squeezing potentially. Um, if you have a prediction to short squeeze uh, or what is going to be short squeeze next to make everyone rich, please do tell because we don't know. We're not Redditors. <laughs> this is not a Redditor. Reddit still is a foreign concept to me, and it's been around for decades. Like I have friends that are like very, very avid on the site, and I'll, I'll find some stuff there in terms of like celebrity drama or just like weird subreddits on stories and stuff. But I am so far out of that game. It's it's a it's such a foreign like I said a foreign concept. It's like it's kind of like 
a very friendly dark web. It is. It's a it's an illegal built out like filtered dark web, I guess. It's crazy. And there's so many intelligent people on Reddit too. You could literally find whatever the hell it is you're looking for and someone's like, "Yeah, I'm a fucking like I'm a PhD. Yes, there are aliens out there." Yeah. And you can't really fact check these people, but I mean, still they have some pull if they're driving the stock price up 518% on a failing business. That is literally nuts. You mentioned before we started, kind of like the Dave Portnoy effect on why Penn got so big. Penn started at $4 and sure, they're making some big headlines of things that they're going to do and new initiatives. But I mean, you think about it, it's trading over you know, 90, 100 bucks consistently now, all because of a guy named Dave Portnoy. Yeah. Well, they're doing a lot. I mean, the sports gambling is now uh, exploding and now more states are going to start legalizing it. They just got the uh, sports book in, in uh, Michigan. And of course, all of their good publicity with the Barstool Fund is just helping the overall company as a whole. But I mean, yeah, Portnoy was definitely, him and the Green Hammer were driving up the stock and it, 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 it turned out good for the long run. Well, think about how many of his minions would tune into that Davy Day Trader stuff where they'd go on and literally just watch him trade stocks for three hours. Well, it wasn't even Penn that he was like driving up to. Like that was kind of like the end result because he wasn't like like legally obligated to be able to push that stock. He would the trends that he was creating on all of his other investments. I mean, he helped drive up Shopify, um, all of like the little like SPACs that blew up that were all over Twitter and social media, like he drove those up as well. Uh, Grubhub was another one that he helped, you know, make even bigger. And uh, what was the other one? Shake Shack. Like, <laughs> how did Shake Shack like drive up? It's because people are like, oh, Dave Portnoy is a relatable person. I want to get into investments now that I have a little extra money during this pandemic. Let me follow him because it's fun and easy to watch rather than a CNN or a Fox or whatever it might be. So that's GameStop. Watch out for more of these short squeezes. I don't know what's next. I really don't. So there, I have a feeling these guys are going to be back after it and save some more failing businesses, but uh, maybe that makes them crash harder. I really don't know. Only time's going to tell on GameStop for sure. So we'll see what happens. Let's go into balls now. Uh, to start it off, we'll go into our interview with Bryant men's basketball coach, Jared Grasso, who is, uh, who has turned out to be a pretty good friend of ours in the, in the show as time has gone on. And his three years at Bryant, he is in the process of overturning a 3-28 and program in 2017-18 to 18 that now ranks in, generally speaking, the top five or six programs in scoring per game and tempo. They have one of the best records in the NCAA right now as well, standing in at 10 and three. Awesome interview with Jared Grasso. Stick around for all of it because he dropped some stuff about John Rothstein at the end too. Just unmissable stuff. So here is our interview with Jared Grasso. Hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody. This week we have a Brian Bulldog through and through, a fellow Long Islander. Uh, one of the brightest and most upcoming coaches in Division One basketball, the head coach of the Bryant Bulldogs, Coach Jared Grasso. Coach, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Appreciate you guys having me. Absolutely. We are excited to have you on, especially after uh, 
you know, the season you're having so far, it's been very fun um, as Brian alumni watching this program ever since you came onto the scene at Brian. I mean, the program keeps getting better and better and it's so exciting to watch. And we'll get into all to the details with that. But first and foremost, can you tell us who is coach Jared Grasso? You know, I'm a, uh, I'm a basketball guy. You know, I grew up in the game, son of a coach. Um, so, you know, basketball, basketball was put in my hands when I was three years old. And I tell people all the time, I, I still haven't let go of that ball. So, you know, I've been blessed. I uh, was raised by a father who, who was a coach. And uh, so I grew up in the gym and was a basketball guy and a gym rat growing up. And, you know, blessed to be able to play, you know, high school and play at the division one level and then get into coaching, you know, right after my college career was done, I had a back injury that uh, ended my career. I was going to go play professionally in Italy, ended up having back surgery and, uh, and ended up getting into coaching right out of college. And, you know, from there bounced around over the last 20 years in coaching, but blessed to be able to work with some great people and uh, work in some great places. And, you know, now for me being at Bryant the last three years and, Having my family here, you know, it's been a it's been a great experience for me and, a, and great for my family. Great place to live, such a great university with uh, phenomenal support and great administration and vision here. So, you know, my, myself and my family are very happy and excited about things to come here, Brian. Coach, you were obviously the the son of a coach, so you grew up playing basketball, and as you mentioned, it never really left your hand, but. Is this originally what you wanted to do when you were young or, you know, when you were maybe high school, college, what was the, the ultimate dream goal for you? Yeah, I knew when my playing days were done, I wanted to coach, you know, my father, who uh, I alluded to being the son of a coach, my father was my best friend. Um, you know, he was my coach, my mentor, my father, but he was, uh, he was the person I aspired to be. He was my hero. So growing up around him and, you know, seeing him coach and at the high school, college, professional level, I knew when my playing days were done, I wanted to coach. And, you know, at a young age, I was into watching video and breaking down game film. And, you know, I always knew who the best high school players in the country were and was reading scouting reports. So I was always into that stuff at a young age. And it was something that I knew that when, when I put the ball down playing wise, that I definitely wanted to get into coaching. And uh, I was lucky enough to get a graduate assistant job at Hofstra right after college and then kind of take my steps from there. Awesome. So, you know, before we get into your coaching career, you know, you played at Quinnipiac under a Connecticut legend with Jim DeSantis. Uh, were there any big lessons that you learned from him as your time as a player that you took with you and carried into your coaching career? You know, so when I got to Quinnipiac, it was our first year Division One. So it's the same transition that Bryant went through 10 years ago. Um, my first year, Quinnipiac was our first year Division One, And the year before I got there, they had won four games at the Division Two level. So it was a situation where, you know, people told me you're never going to win there. You know, you're never going to have success. Um, and Joe was a blue-collar, throwback, tough Bronx, New York City we're going to compete. We're going to fight. We're going to scrap. We're going to claw. And, you know, I, I, he was my kind of coach and a lot of the things he, he did philosophy wise were very similar to things that I thought about the game or my father had thought about the game. So I, I was around a guy who I could learn from, um, improve under as a player, but also learn from because I knew I wanted to get into coaching and his blue collar mentality and just the toughness and how hard you have to work to be successful was something that I carried forward and just the competitiveness piece. You know, we were really competitive in practice every day and you have to be, you have to be that type of team in order to win. And we went from being 
like I said, Quinnipiac had won four games at Division Two level. Two years later, we won 18 games. Uh, it was the biggest turnaround in uh, Division One, and then my senior year, we played for a conference championship. So I was able to be a part of a turnaround and see a coach build something from the ground up. And it was a little bit there's some similarities to when I came here at Bryant. You know, coming off a three-win season and knowing I had to kind of turn something around and try and change a culture. I was part of doing that as a player and saw Coach DeSantis do that as a coach. Coach, from your playing days, because, you know, you were a four-year starter and a two-year captain at Quinnipiac um, running the offense. You ranked 23rd on the Bobcats' all-time scoring list with over 1,000 points. Were there any playing memories, maybe a, a really good player that you played that, you know, gave you a hard time or maybe you dropped 30 points against somebody that – went on to have a really good career. Just any memories that stick out from your playing days? I mean, there's two, two things. One, um, you know, playing against Ben Gordon at UConn, and we had some, some battles actually with UConn where we had a one or two possession game with two or three minutes left and never were able to get over the hump and beat them. But I remember having 25, I think, against Ben Gordon his freshman wow. year. And I remember having an and one down the stretch and telling him he couldn't guard me, which he was struggling to guard me that day. Now, obviously uh, – you could see the directions our careers went in. I think uh, as he got older, he probably would have a much easier time defending me. But um, <laughs> that, that's something I'll always remember because I did have one of those days against a really good player. And then the conference championship, when I was at Quinnipiac, we played Central Connecticut. Uh, it was an ESPN2 game. Game was at Central. Quinnipiac and Central, obviously, both in Connecticut. It was a rivalry at the time. In the crowd and atmosphere of that game, I still talk to the guys in the NEC, Ron Ratner and the reporters who are still around. And I can say myself, having and I've coached at Kansas, and I've been in unbelievable venues, NCAA tournament at Kansas, at Arkansas, at Wake Forest, all these different places. Um, it was the best basketball environment I've ever been in, bar none. And the guys in the league say the same thing, from Ron Ratner, who's been around the league for 20 years, to um, the reporters in Connecticut, the Hartford current guys say they've been to UConn games and NCAA tournament games, and they've never been in an environment like that. It was just so heated and so loud and such a, it was unbelievable. So uh, obviously losing that game is something that still sticks with me. And I still talk to my former teammates about, and it's what's why it's such a goal of mine to, to get Brian to an NCAA tournament. Cause I still feel like I have unfinished business in the Northeast conference, but it was such an unbelievable experience going from being the last ranked division one team in the country who had won four games at the division two level the year prior to playing on national TV with a chance to go to the NCAA tournament. That's a great point too. People forget Quinnipiac was in the original NEC for many years. And then, um, you know, obviously went to the, uh, the Mac after. So that's awesome stuff. And I'm sure a great memory for you too. Um, let's, let's talk about your time at Iona now, coach, you were very clear. I remember clear as day uh, in April when you were introduced as the Bryant head coach and you made a promise that, you know, you're going to cut down nets because you know what that that's like, and you know what that process is to get there. And you've done it five times before you've been to five tournaments during your time as an assistant from Tim Cluse um, at Iona. So over that time period, while you were working for Tim and building a program and recruiting guys from all over the nation, what was the most rewarding part about that specific experience for you? So outside of my father, who's my biggest mentor in basketball, Tim Kloos is a, a close second. And, you know, I was able to work with Tim for, we were together for uh, eight years at Iona. And 
in terms of as a basketball coach and a person, there's nobody better in the country. Um, one of the best basketball minds I've ever been around. Working, you know, having the opportunity to work for him and grow and learn under him, both about basketball and about life, prepared me for this next step in my career. You know, when I was 29 years old, I was the interim head coach at Fordham. I thought I was prepared to be a head coach. And I still do believe I was at that point. But the best thing that ever happened to me was having the opportunity to work and learn under Tim. And I mean, of course, we have great memories together in terms of cutting down nets and going to NCAA tournaments and big wins. And we had a lot of those. I mean, we had as good a run as there's been at the mid-major level and one of the without a question, the best run in Mac history. Um, but me and Tim still talk about, like, the things we remember most are coming off losses and being in the office till 2, 3 in the morning trying to figure out how to get our team right or going through the struggles when things were hard and we were had injuries and we had to reinvent our team. Like, some of our best memories are those things because those were the hard times. And they led to all those great moments of cutting down nets and being part of NCAA tournament teams. But – just being in the war room and trying to figure out what do we have to do to get our team right? You know, what's it going to take? Cause that happens in every season. And we had some bumps along the way where we were down or, you know, you're in fifth place with two weeks left in the year. And three weeks later, you're going to the NCAA tournament. And, and it's those times where you're behind the scenes trying to figure it out and trying to get it right. And being able to do that with someone who, you know, Tim is like a big brother to me. He's a friend. He's a mentor. I talk to him every day. And, being able to do that with someone you believe in, have so much confidence and faith in was a really special thing for me. You alluded to it um, when you were just discussing your time at Iona, but back in 2009, when you were named the interim coach at Fordham, you were the youngest head coach in Division One history at the time. Were there any eye-opening moments for you that, you know, coaching that team, you sat back and you were like, okay, I need to improve on X, Y, and Z, or okay, this is, this is the big leagues. This is me as a head coach. What do I need to figure out moving forward to have future success? I mean, number one is you better have good players or you're going to have a hard time wherever you are. You know, we, had, sure. we, we were very young. Um, our best player went, had just transferred, decided he was going to leave and transfer to USC about a week before I ended up taking over. So we had a kid academically ineligible. We had some injuries. So we only had eight or nine scholarship players. We didn't really have a point guard on the roster. Um, so in terms of the wins and losses, it was difficult. Um, but it's, it's the best thing that ever happened to me moving over those 18 inches. Cause I was thrown to the fire. You know, I was, they ended up uh, moving on from Derek Wittenberg. They called me in the office, asked if I would finish the year as the head coach and, uh, with the opportunity to retain that job, um, and to carry it like it was going to be my program moving forward. And we played a game two days later after I took over. So it was you know, I was thrown to the fire coaching wise. I was trying to still fundraise and I treated it like the job was going to be mine. They told me to, and I was given the confidence that if you do the right things and do a good job, I was going to have the opportunity to possibly be retained. We got commitments from five players who the recruiting class ended up being some really good players who ended up going to different schools after the coaching change took place where I didn't keep the job. Um, but I learned a ton of things on the fly and it prepared me when the next time came around that I understood all the things that comes with being a head coach. And, you know, the biggest being that all the final decisions are now yours. When you're an assistant, you have a ton of great ideas and you throw them all out there. But at the end of the day, the head coach is the one who for good, better or for worse, you know, whatever they decide and they make a decision, it's with them and it falls on them. And there's a lot, there's a ton of different decisions that go on day to day that, 
the average person doesn't think about. You know, the average person on the outside is looking at the X and O's and the recruiting and but there's a million different things academically on campus, just different things day to day that you have to deal with that most people don't realize fall on a, a head coach's plate. So it's a lot of times. And I did that for three months, was able able to understand the time and energy and kind of day-to-day management of those things, which had me much more prepared the second time around when I was uh, had this great opportunity here to take over at Bryant. Absolutely. Now let's head into Bryant. You come into Smithfield, Rhode Island, the dog pound. You have turned this program around in three short years. Um, you went to a three and 28 record and turned it into 10 and three, six and two in the conference. Um, you have the best eight game start in program history. A few days ago, you were the fifth highest scoring offense in the nation behind Gonzaga, Baylor, Iowa, um, and you were top five in the nation in tempo. How nice is it to see this program that you built and established, you know, go into action and, and actually succeeding on the court? Yeah, you know, listen, obviously we took over three years ago and had a, a vision of um, what we wanted this program to become. And most of it started culturally with how hard we're going to work, um, how committed we're going to be to being great student athletes. You know, student first, our guys have excelled in the classroom, um, as well as starting to take the steps to turn this program around on the floor. Um, obviously, we're able to change some personnel and recruiting and add some guys who are a better fit for my style of play and just for the way I do things. Um, and guys who want to get a great education, want to get their degree from Bryant, but also want to win championships and want to be professional basketball players. And in order to be successful for me, it's a, I mean, it's a question I ask guys when I recruit them, do you want to be a professional basketball player? And again, everybody, for the most part, says yes. And once they say that, I just explain that you're going to be held to a standard of what it takes to be a professional basketball player. And most of you have no idea what that takes. Now, if you really love basketball and want to be great and are willing to commit to this, which means your academics are going to come first, and then we're going to be in the gym a lot because it takes really hard work and a lot of time to become a championship team and to become a professional basketball player. Now, I'm going to hold you to the things that you've told me you want for yourself. And we've been blessed with this group to have, you know, some guys who are really committed and gym rats who love to play, um, have really loved playing with each other and have big goals in terms of aspirations of what we want to do as a group and what they want to do individually moving on beyond playing in college. So it's been a fun group so far. Um, we're moving in the right direction. We still have a long ways to go, but they've been committed. They've worked really hard for us. And in a year that's been trying because of COVID and so many fluid moving pieces, I've really enjoyed coaching these guys. Coach, I want to rewind before we go into you know, more about this team. So you had a long stint at Iona working for one of the best in the nation, one of your mentors, one of your best friends. And all of a sudden this opportunity comes up. So what was that moment like where you, you know, threw your name in the ring and said, you know, I, I need to spread my wings a little bit and go after it. I know you just mentioned it um, on the daily dose of hoops podcast a couple of days ago, but um, walk us through, you know, what that was like looking at this role and come, you know, evaluating if you're going to move your family up to Rhode Island and uh, try to make a name for yourself up here. You know, I remember watching Brian in the, it was the NEC quarterfinals, I want to say, against Sacred Heart, watching the game on TV. And actually, my college coach, Joe DeSantis, was the one who was doing the game on TV. And that was the reason I ended up stopping. I want to say it was an MSG game, but I think at the time. 
or Fox Sports, whatever it was. I turned the game on and saw this unbelievable atmosphere of Bryant. Bryant ended up winning the game in overtime. Joe O'Shea made a three to extend the game into overtime, ended up winning an OT. And ever since seeing that, I always thought, wow, you know, there's a commitment there for basketball and there's an excitement there. It could be a good job. And I always had that in the back of my mind, never something that I really put too much thought into, but I just remember watching that game. And then with Tim O'Shea decide he was going to resign. And, you know, at that point, I'd been in Iona for eight years. Um, I knew it was time for my next challenge. Um, and I was ready to start, you know, looking at some things at the end of that season. And, you know, it was a couple things were thrown at me. I had a couple job opportunities at the end of that year. And thankfully, um, Brian offered me the job at the right time. And, you know, I, I, after stepping on campus for my first interview, I knew in my mind I was going to get the job. And I knew it was a job that I wanted. Um, just the feel of the campus, the feel of the interview process, spending time with Bill Smith and Ron Makeley, their leadership and their vision, I knew it was a place I wanted to be. And, you know, thankfully, like I said, the, the job was offered and I, I took it on the spot and, you know, hit the ground running from there. That's excellent to hear. So with this team, you know, what do you think makes the Bryant team so special? You know, is there a ceiling on this team that is truly limitless? Um, I mean, the hard work and the, the, the culture is obviously such an important part, but where do you see this team going? I still think we have a, a large kind of, we're not nearly where we can be. I think there's a large room for growth that, Again, these were we brought in nine new guys, so this is still a fairly new group together. Um, and again, with COVID, we didn't spend the summer together. The fall was a little different, where it's not like we just got to campus. We we're able to start workouts right away. We're starting in just strength and conditioning and smaller groups, and it was it's different than most seasons have been. So with this many new guys, our time was limited. Um, so I do think we have a chance to play our best basketball in the future, and. I mean, we're going to return everybody on this roster next year. You know, Peter Kiss and Hall Lysius are both planning on coming back since um, players this year are allowed to get their year back. So I do think our best basketball is ahead of us. Um, I think we played some good basketball early on, but I do think there's room for improvement. If we can stay healthy and uh, our guys can continue to work the way they have, I do think there's room to get better. And that, that that's the thing that excites me, even just seeing some of our younger guys, you know, a kid like Joe Moon, who has not played a ton of minutes so far and kind of played some a little bit against Central a couple of weeks ago and is working his way into our rotation. Like from where he was when he got here to where he is now, the staff and I were just talking about him today, like seeing the growth he's made. He's a guy I'm really excited about because he keeps getting better. And I think we have a handful of guys with best basketballs ahead of them. And as long as they keep improving and stay committed to the things that they've said they want to do as a team and as individuals, I do think the future is bright. Coach, I think the the big storyline this year is obviously Peter Kiss, who played a year at Quinnipiac, a year at Rutgers, then came to go play at Bryant. That's obviously a very untraditional path, but what does that say about what you're building when you know a guy that's played at some two pretty good programs, he wants to play for you. He wants to play for Bryant University. You know, how big is that for the program and and how much of a testament is that to what you're actually building? Yeah, I mean, you know, Peter and I, Peter's the kid I've known. Obviously, he played at Quinnipiac. Um, when he left Quinnipiac, I talked to him about possibly coming to Iona. And then when he was leaving Rutgers, we just have some connections through different coaches he played for and people that we both know. Um, and when he decided he was going to leave there, he had some high-level schools, some Conference USA, some Big East schools, some American Athletic Conference schools that were interested. Um, 
but he wanted to, he needed to go play for the right guy. He needed the right fit. And I kind of feel like we were a good fit for each other. Um, I kind of know him and have a feel for him both on and off the court. I told him what my expectations were of him as a student athlete and what success I believed he could have here, both individually and what we could have as a group if he decided to come here. And he's lived up to his, his end of the bargain. You know, he's worked his tail off and improved and his efficiency from where it was the first three years in his career to where the first two years he played in his career to where it is now or night and day. But it's because of the work he's put in. And again, he's a guy who, although he's played several years of college basketball, I do believe his best basketball is ahead of him and he's got a chance to continue to improve. I think one of the most amazing things coming out of this season that we've seen are the potential you're unlocking in some of your players. Uh, when we go back and, you know, look at the stats of each game, seeing guys like Mike Green and Hall Elijah, you know, breaking Bryant records and completely changing the program. That's definitely a testament to your coaching and your work. But what do you see when you're recruiting? What are some of the boxes without giving any uh, tips of the trade away? You know, what are some things that you look into a player and you're like, this is a Jared Grosso guy. This is a guy that can fit into my program. Obviously, certain skill sets that I look for. You know, I like guys who can pass, handle, and shoot, and I like skilled guys. But there's there's certain things that aren't tangible. Um, what's a guy's motor like? What is his competitiveness like? You know, I saw Mike Green in an open gym, offered him a scholarship on the spot. He just had it. Like, there's an it factor to Mike Green that something that that I saw. And again, he was under recruited because of his size, and people were scared because he was too little. I thought he had an it factor that I was, you know, I wanted him the day I saw him. So for me, there's just a certain kind of kid who has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, who has something to prove. Um, sometimes those are under the radar guys. Sometimes those are guys who, you know, people didn't believe in at the first school they went to and are transferring. Sometimes those are guys who played in a certain system that didn't fit them and want some more freedom and want to play in a system that's going to play faster. So there's different reasons you end up with those guys, but there's similar characteristics that they're always very competitive. They always kind of have a chip on their shoulder with something to prove. And I kind of feel that's what I was as a player. You know, I was always chasing something and always had something to prove. And always, I was one of those guys who made up things in my head to challenge myself in games because I always had to feel like I was challenged. And I like those guys who every day show up with that competitiveness and those guys end up overachieving. And I think we have some overachievers on our roster and you have to be a little different. And I say this a lot and people don't grasp it sometimes like to be great at, as a college basketball player or in any walk of life, like you have to be a little different. You have to have some different characteristics uh, to, to be great at your craft or whatever it may be. And I think we have some guys who are a little bit different in their mentalities and their mindsets. And you have to be to separate yourselves because again, at the college level, there's so many players. You talk about a Mike green, he's a five foot nine, 155 pound point guard. So what's going to separate him. And he has some intangibles, some inner things that you can't teach that make him a great player. And you kind of try when you're recruiting, you try and find, find those kind of guys who are going to overachieve for those reasons. And you talk about the, the recruiting process and you mentioned, you know, all the time you're asking guys, do you want to be a professional basketball player? People forget that there's actually a bulldog that was picked third overall last year. And I believe it was the, uh, the Chinese basketball league. And that was Benson Lin. 
how cool is that to see, uh, you know, the fruits of your labor paying off by actually producing, you know, a top three draft pick already? Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, Benson was a terrific kid, great worker, had a terrific year for us. I think he would have came back if not for COVID. Um, but his goal was to be a professional basketball player. And if it wasn't in the NBA, it was going to be in the Chinese uh, Basketball League. And for him to be the third pick after one year with us, I think is the testament to the strides he made in his year with our program. And, you know, he's reaping the, the rewards of the work he put in for us last year. So I'm really excited for him. And he's having success over there in his first year. And I couldn't be happier for him because he's as hard a worker as I've ever been around. And, you know, he's a kid who came to the States wanting to get an education and have a chance to play the highest level of basketball he could professionally when he was done. And now he's in a position where he's making great money playing in a great league. Absolutely. And that's, that's so awesome to see. And I have one more player that I want to highlight on your roster and I'd love to hear the backstory behind him. Um, and Angel Link uh, from Johnson, Rhode Island. Can you tell me about Angel? So when we, uh, got involved with Angel. He's a, an unbelievable young man. Um, and we got involved with him and his family and made him a part of our team. He's an eight-year-old boy who, you know, had some, some problems, some health issues growing up. And we adopted him as part of our team. And, you know, up until this year, unfortunately with COVID, he hasn't been able to be around as much, but he was, he'd sit right behind our bench. He'd be in the locker room with us. He was, became a little brother to our players. And, it, it was special for us, you know, being able to put a smile on his face and he'd have so much fun coming to practice, coming to spend time with our team. And it, it's important for us that we're giving back and, you know, having Angel as part of our team and, and part of the Bryant community, I think I know was something that was very special and important to him. And it's even more special and important to us because it teaches our guys about giving back and, building relationships and he looks up to those guys like they're his heroes he sees those guys and he gets a big smile and runs over to them and spends time with them so having angels part of our program has really been a special thing for us I think one of the most rewarding things that I've been able to do as a public address announcer is to say Angel Link's name a, a few times, you know, at guard, 4-2 from Johnson, Rhode Island, right? So it's uh, it's the little things, and I'm, I'm really glad to hear that your, your guys are loving that and having Angel around. Uh, so that that's really awesome. Credit to Team Impact as well. They do a great job. Um, we're going to go into a segment we're going to call Break Down the Quote, if you will. Um, Coach, we know you love your hashtags and your, um, you know, your, your – I guess uh, one-liners, right? So we're going to walk you through um, just all the things, you know, the hashtags that you've uh, put out on Twitter and what that might mean to your team. We're just going to ask you to give, you know, the quick one-sentence pitch for it. So, Will, if you want to go ahead with this, go for it. All right. We'll start with 1274. 12-7-4 is 12 months a year, seven days a week, four hours a day. Um, it's the level of commitment started with Frank Morris at St. Agnes High School on Long Island, carried over to Tim Clouse at St. Mary's High School, CW Post, Iona, and then I took it with me here to Bryant. And we feel that's the amount of time you need to put into basketball to be a professional, to be a championship team and to be a professional. That's what it takes. And those are the hours we expect our guys to put into the game. Excellent. The next one is KEB1, kill them by one. Kill him by one is, a, is something my father would say uh, when he was a coach before every game. And then when he'd get off the phone with me or if he was at one of my games and I saw him as, as I was walking out for warm up, 
stops every game when my dad would come to see us at Iona. He'd be sitting in the corner seat. I'd stop, give my dad a kiss, walk to the bench, and he'd always say, kill him by one. And it was always a phrase that, that they used, he used when he was a coach and kind of carried over that he gave to me. So it's something I've carried over to, to our guys. doesn't matter if you win by 50 or by one. You're just trying to win. So kill him by one is, uh, is a grasso phrase that will continue to move forward with us. Beautiful. And the last one is relentless pursuit of progress. Yeah, I mean, think, I think that as a whole is what we preach, the day-to-day. We're just trying to get better every day. And if that's one play better, if that's one second better, if that's one shot better, but we're going to pursue that relentlessly, which means every day and every single thing we do. And if we have a relentless approach to getting better on a daily basis and we can stay with the process of day-by-day, inch-by-inch, play-by-play, you know, we have a chance in the long run to become good team, good program. But it's the consistent piece of it about doing it every single day that becomes hard. And it's why we could, we, it's something I hit on every day. You have to have relentless consistency to be able to do that. And the consistency piece is the really hard piece that you try and instill in your guys. Awesome. Those are all awesome. And uh, thank you for explaining that in full. You know, we always see those quotes all over social media with Brian and they're very powerful, but you always want to hear that backstory. And a backstory I want to hear from you, you know, regarding Twitter is you are pretty close friends with one of Twitter's biggest college basketball personalities in John Rothstein. How did that relation uh, come about? And he seems like he's a big uh, Bulldog fan. And I'd love to see, you know, how you two met and how this uh, relationship continued. Yeah, just being in New York, you know, John's a New York guy, as everybody obviously knows when he talks about all the restaurants he's uh, eaten at in New York City. Um, but when I was the interim head coach at Fordham, John was kind of starting to come up in the business. So we had started talking and started building a relationship then. Then obviously when I went to, from Fordham to Iona, ended up staying in New York. Um, our relationship just, you know, spent some time on the phone and gotten to know each other. And, you know, over time, we built a pretty good relationship. And, you know, I like, I, I try and surround myself with people who can make me better, people I can learn from. And, you know, John is as hard a worker as there is in his industry. And I respect people who work really hard at what they do. And he, he is relentless and tenacious at his job. And those are the kind of people I respect and look up to. So uh, he's someone that over time I've been able to build a relationship with. And I think he's really good at what he does. And he's one of those guys who has worked to get there. So I, I always have a, have a respect and have a, you know, a place for those kind of guys because whatever industry you're in, whatever you do, guys who work really hard eventually reap the rewards of it. And John has obviously been able to do that in his profession. So, Coach, he talks about Bar Coastal in New York. Have you been to Bar Coastal? Are the wings as great as he says they are, or is he just lying? I, I've never been to Bar Coastal, but <laughs> if, he talks, if he talks him up that much, I got to trust him because the man is an eating machine when he wants to be. And <laughs> – if he says they're that good, I'm going to go with John's recommendation anytime. So what's like, I, I'd imagine you've been, you've eaten out with Rothstein. Like if you guys go out to dinner, what's his go-to? Like what's he getting on the menu? You know, it really depends on where you go. He's got, yeah. he has different go-tos at different restaurants. Um, but if it's when he's really sitting down for a meal, he could eat for four. You know, he's a, he's, <laughs> he's a, he's a very, he's a high major eater. Um, I love but that. he's always, he's, he has good taste in restaurants. So you always know you're going to a good spot and what the man can eat. That's one thing he can do. I don't know how he does it, because, <laughs> but he, he, if you sit down for a meal, it's going to be a long meal. Wow. That's funny. <laughs> do you have any recommendations 
are your go-to places on Long Island and also in Rhode Island? On Long Island, I mean, I'm a Vincent's Clam Bar guy, and that's a, that's a Rothstein spot as well. But for me, growing up in Long Island, if I was going for Italian, we're always going uh, Vincent's Clam Bar. And unfortunately, in Rhode Island, I have not spread my wings enough, you know, in terms of the dining with two and now three young children. My wife and I have not been able to get out enough that I've seen enough to say, you know, really be able to separate, you know, my go-to, go-to spots. I mean, I like Trattoria Romana. You can get a good Italian meal there. Um, but in terms of going out in Providence and Newport with the three little ones, we don't get out as much as we'd like. So hopefully this summer, now that things will have quieted down, hopefully, hopefully COVID won't be as big of an issue. We'll be able to get out a little bit more this summer when, you know, last two summers, as we've been building this program, it's been a lot of work and there hasn't been a lot of, a lot of downtime. So for me, it's been I'm either working or, uh, for the most part, home with my wife and kids. Coach, there was a – before we let you go, because we've got a couple of minutes left here, we've got um, we got our hands on the picture of you that went viral. I think it was when you were coaching at Iona as an assistant. Um, and we're going to go into explain that picture now, if you can see the video. So we'll show it up right now. I don't know if you can see on your end, but – um, it's the one of you kind of with the baggy pants and the, uh, you know, wearing the suit talking to one of your players. Does this jog any memories for you? If you can see, I, unfortunately I can't see the picture. Oh, got it. Well, we'll have to send it to you after we'll send it to you, but it's the gray suit with the Gucci belt. Uh, the bottoms of the pants are not tapered. So they're pretty much touching the floor and you just got, <laughs> you got the boss pose on. You got the boss. That, that was that was when suit that, that was in the the generation where you were used to want you have your suit flowing. When I worked for Larry <laughs> Harris in University of Hartford. You wanted your suit to flow. Those days are over. We were a lot more. Uh, we we've changed that pant look over the years. I mean, it looked like the suit you were wearing was ready for the uh, 2003 NBA draft behind uh, <laughs> LeBron. Honestly, you looked like you could have been. Yeah, Will and I were catching up before. He's like, yeah, he could have with that look. He could have been, you know, like ninth overall in, in that 2003 NBA draft, right? You looked. It's ready amazing for it. how over the years the style has changed. That was the look then, and obviously it's changed quite a bit. So there's been a lot of suits that uh, we've had to put out to pasture because of the changes in style. <laughs> I love that fashion icon Jared Grasso folks among many other hats um coach this has been great thanks so much um to close out I feel like this is fitting to ask you here in you know a couple of sentences what's your best advice for somebody that's trying to play professional basketball or has those aspirations I mean it's about your work ethic and are you really committed to doing it um there's a lot of guys out there who talk about it and say it but are you really, really committed to doing it? And, and I'll throw 1274 out there because it's real. Are you willing to work 12 months a year, seven days a week, four hours a day at being a, prof at being a basketball player? Because if you will, you're going to have a chance to make money playing basketball. I guarantee that. I have not been around a guy who is that committed that didn't end up making money playing. But it's a lot of time. And it's, it's a lot of energy. And you're going to have to cut things out of your life. And are you willing to cut those other things out of your life? Are you you're going to cut out video games on a Friday night. You can be willing to say, I'm not going to go to this party. I'm not going to go hang out. I'm going to go get extra thousand extra shots up tonight. And those guys are willing to do that. Pass everybody by because it's such a fine. There's a small group of elite players in the country that just have elite physical gifts that are going to be professional basketball players because of those elite physical gifts. And then there's a lot of guys in this next tier who are very close together. And the ones who are really willing to work and really willing to put the time in will pass those other guys by. And 
It's all about how committed to really making it and how committed to passing that next guy by are you. And most guys aren't as committed as they say they are. The ones who are will pass those guys by and have a chance to be a professional basketball player. Absolutely. Well, Coach, thank you so much for spending the time to speaking with us. Uh, we look forward to following you along the rest of this season. Let's hope we can get the dogs into the dance. Uh, we're obviously huge Bulldog fans, not only as alumni, but just proud to watch you uh, killing it as the coach. So thank you for the time. Um, follow along Brian Basketball Hoops at Bryant Hoops on Instagram and Twitter. And coach, enjoy the rest of your week. Stay safe. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks very much, guys. Stay safe. Appreciate you having me. Look forward to seeing you guys soon. And that was just Coach Jared Grasso, Bryant University men's basketball team. What a fun interview. Uh, we really appreciate him taking the time. Sunday afternoon, the man was like, hey, you want to rip this interview? And we're like, sure, like, absolutely. Like, you know, we don't want to take away the time away from your family in a day off, but the grind never stops for him. Kill him by one. Uh, relentless pursuit, pursuit of progress and, and consistency. He is a jack of all trades and very, very excited to have him. That man is going to be the future of college basketball. I can confidently say that. Not just because he's from Bryant. Um, he is someone that continuously in different articles and different analysts are like, this guy's the real deal. You know, he's building something at Bryant. Bryant's going on the map. Um, I would not be surprised if the dogs head to the dance this year. That's all I got to say about that. The thing about like, he is one of the most honest and, um, you know, genuine coaches. I think the sport has had in a long time. We should have asked him about when he basically called out Jim Bayheim in November. That is true. That should is have asked true. Him that, but you know, he received um, a lot of praise for actually being so honest with the media. I was on the press conference when he said what he had to say about Bayheim, which, uh, we won't get in a ton to, but you know, it was, uh, he had the, one of the biggest support, um, you know, contingents from all over the media that were saying, you know, Hey, regardless of if you agree with him or not, it's refreshing that he's speaking, honestly, you don't get that a lot, especially in a world full of coach K's and, uh, people that are just being disingenuous and calling out student reporters. Like, that's not cool. Come on. That's yeah. for me. That was, that was, uh, Coach K is a hard ass. We already know that. Um, I mean, very successful, very respectful coach, but his, his time with his time at Duke is just starting to become a little sour at the end because it went last year when he was yelling at the crowd of students and, you know, for all the nice he does, it's, it's, it's hard to judge him on like the negative stuff that comes out, but it's just not a good look too. And then you see on the polar opposite of coach Cooley over at Providence saying, to that um, student reporter. It's like, thank you for asking that question. I love Griffin. Yeah. I, uh, I appreciate you asking that question. Keep asking questions. And it's like, he that's said, throwing to him after that, too. That's that's awesome. I, I love that. And this was before, this is a week before that even happened with Coach Yeah. K. Yeah. It's just now getting obviously spotlight because of the Coach K um, comments. But Neither here nor there. Duke is Duke is on their way to the NIT probably. So <laughs> may not make uh, the NIT. You know when they are when they are such a, a prestigious program going to that kind of tournament possibly and just having the year they are just I get emotions are high and tempers may flare but come on like 
You might have just given Duke too much credit, though. I, I don't know that they'll – they might be like an eight seed in the NIT. That's sad. That's embarrassing. <laughs> That's not good. They're five and five. That's but either bad. way, I mean, you know, you can, you can give that kind of flack and um, those comments to, you know – people in the professional world right now. And even that's still rude. Like, I don't think that's acceptable, but if you have a reporter that's always, you know, tailing you with questions and he asks something like that, okay, maybe it's still not warranted or acceptable, but like, all right, from, you know, from one adult to another, but you have a, a bunch of students asking you questions, just like bite your tongue and be like, no comment or, you know what, next question. Like, you don't have to be like, Oh, what are you, an econ major? What do you, what, what happens when you fail a test? Like, are you kidding me? It's like, relax, like take, take, take a back seat on that one. Yeah. It's a little pathetic, but regardless, uh, we, we were talking about how nice Jared Grasso is. And then we ended up talking about this So, <laughs> bottom line, uh, Grasso, you know, great dude, uh, unbelievable ceiling on the man. And I really hope he finds some success in Smithfield and, um, Hopefully he stays until one of the big, maybe a power five school comes and tries to yank him out. And that's when I'd respect him, you know, getting on out and building the uh, name for himself. So big thanks to coach for coming on the show. Uh, we'll talk about football, but we won't dive in too much towards the Super Bowl because we'll save that for next week, but it'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the, the, the games of last week, the NFC championship, Tom has still got it. Might have had a little help from the refs at the end. They called a pass interference that might not have existed, depending on which way you look at it from the Packers. But a combination of Tom Brady being really good, and in my opinion, the Packers shooting themselves in the foot a little bit. A little bit of both. It was the right time, right place for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and they are on to the Super Bowl in their home effing stadium. That is absolutely nuts. Yeah, no, first time ever. Uh, I wrote the blog on... Tom Brady. Um, as a Giants fan, you know, I've, I already had my last laps with Tom. You know, we won the two Super Bowls, 08 and 11. Uh, but either way, he is the one of the best, if not the best quarterback to ever grace the NFL. What he's doing is just, it's mind-blowing. Because, like, even when the playoffs started, I was like, I don't think the Bucs can go all the way. And they have the team to go all the way. And we'll get into, you know, we'll get into more next week on why I think the Bucs could beat the Chiefs and why the Chiefs could beat the Bucs. But what Tom Brady is doing right now is just incredible. Also, on the other end of that spectrum, though, he did throw three interceptions. One of them was not his fault, but two of them were, it's like, Tommy, you're taking the hit. Just take the hit or throw the ball on the sidelines. No need to throw up some eggs for easy interceptions. But the stat that blew me away, not only, you know, he, go, he goes to the, his 10th Super Bowl, eyeing his seventh, his seventh ring. Tom Brady has been in, since he's entered the NFL, 48% of the time he has made the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. But that's not the wild one. He's been in 18% of all Super Bowls. <laughs> A fifth of all Super Bowls. Tom Brady's been in that stat. It's going to get to the point where. Wait, hold on. No way. No way. 18% of all Super Bowls. All Super Bowls were at. No, there's no way. Cause we're at like, wait, holy 55. shit. 55. Oh my God. Oh my God. He's been, that's, that is absurd. Yes. 
So I did not believe that when that just came out of your mouth. That is literally absurd. 18% it, of a, all. It's an insane number. It's going to get to the point where like, we've seen that one of LeBron's teammates has been in a NBA championship the past 20 years. No, I think that it's actually like a teammate of Shaq's has been in like 28 straight NBA championships. Like it can get to that point with Tom Brady. It can also get to that point with Patrick Mahomes if he keeps going to this level. Yeah. But I guess in terms of breaking down the game, I feel bad for Aaron Rodgers. Um, Aaron Rodgers, it's so unfortunate the season he's he just had now means nothing. If they made it to the Super Bowl and lost, it's like he finally got to the Super Bowl since like what the early what 2011, 2000, yeah, 2010. Um, right, that's what it was. It was one yeah. of those. It was a long, long time ago, though. You know, he played phenomenally. That was just poor coaching. Um, that was just poor coaching. He did his part. I think he had what three touchdowns and just a pick. He did his part. He could have also ran the ball at the end instead of trying to, you know force it in at, at the goal line, but you're, we're not going to harp on this. You're down eight with two minutes left in a winner go home game. You don't kick a field goal. No, you saw that last week with the chief, with the chiefs and the Browns, the Browns decided to punt it and said to go for it. They're like, we're going to trust our defense and they couldn't stop it. That was the same thing that happened here. Um, there's going to be a lot of soul searching for that team. You know, you have a guy like Aaron Jones, who's now a free agent, Matt LaFleur. It's like, are you going to be the next McVay, this incredible coaching mind, but can't get the job done. Aaron Rodgers, you know, kind of left the door wide open saying, I don't know what my future looks like. So a lot, a lot, a lot will go down with that team. It's unfortunate because I thought the Packers were destined to be win the NFC, especially, I mean, Losing at Lambeau. And this year, out of all years, you know, where Aaron Rodgers is a clear-cut MVP candidate, where you have a breakout year from Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones is back on his bullshit. It's kind of crazy. And this was the same year that they had drafted a quarterback to replace Aaron Rodgers, and they didn't play him once. Yeah. Yeah. But overall, I mean, that Bucks defense is scary. Uh, it's, it's really nice to see JPP have this second life. Um, I'm a huge J, uh, JPP fan. When we traded him to the Bucks, I was very disappointed. It was purely a business move uh, in terms of his contract, but he has done so well for the Buccaneers in his time there. This year, he's been phenomenal. Uh, getting a guy like Vita, uh, Vita Vey back, I mean, that is like a, just a 400-pound wall blocking the run. It's so crazy. I mean, he broke his ankle and he's back like in full force. Like he did not leave the field. Uh, Shaq Barrett's a phenomenal edge rusher. Devin White's a tremendous linebacker who is always all over the field. Their secondary is very solid. They have Antoine Winfield who will come back for the Super Bowl. He's a top tier talent and he's only a rookie. Very, very good team. The defense played well. The offense, I mean, you know, the weapons. You know, the suspects, they didn't even have Antonio Brown that game. Yeah. You know, you're relying on guys like Scotty Miller to make the plays. And I mean, that's Brady's normal suspect, the short slot receiver white guy that's just going to break out and make these fancy plays. So good for the Bucs. Um, we'll get into it next week, but I like their chances. Yeah. And then the, on the polar opposite side, it's kind of a game where the Chiefs, 
dominated the Bills all game. The final score reflects in no way whatsoever what they did to the Bills. Uh, 38-24 was the final score. And they had – it was the Bills um, – I guess what I'm trying to say is the Chiefs – there was no point in the game where the Chiefs – like you doubted the Chiefs were going to win. There was no point for me personally, and I, I would be shocked if anyone else told me otherwise because – the Chiefs went out. They had all cylinders firing. They had a touch. Or they had a Hardman score a touchdown. They had Tyreek Hill doing his thing. Travis Kelsey went off. He set an NFL postseason record for catches in one game with like 14 or something like that. Like that's nuts. That, that is the best offense in the NFL. And I think that's the best offense the NFL has seen in a long time, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, again, feel bad for the Bills. Uh, the potential was there. The energy was there. Bill's mafia is full, you know, came out in full force. They'll be back. They are a young team. Josh Allen is going to be one of those quarterbacks of the future. Uh, it's going to be one of those guys where you look back in like 10, 15 years. He's like, you can't believe it. Like the jets drafted Sam Darnold over Josh Allen, or uh, you can't even say Baker yet because like Baker's doing, you know, well in, in Cleveland, but Josh Allen is a, lights out future MVP candidates. Stefan Diggs is arguably one of the best receivers this year, top five in the league. Um, they have some pieces they need to fill, fill but they're going to be dominant. It's good. Now it's going to be kind of like when those, uh, you know, those, those Brady Patriots teams where it's like one off, it might be the Broncos or like a team like the Ravens come out and surprise. You're going to have that in the AFC because right now the Chiefs are just mm -hmm. continually going to be the force that can anyone beat? Yeah, I don't. I can't. I can't say that with confidence right now. So, a lot of good stuff. I mean, it just the jitters were there for the Bills. It showed. You know, it's a lot of people. It's their first time in a Super Bowl or in that kind of setting. I mean, in a AFC Championship or a Championship game as a whole. A lot of jitters. A lot of just uh, nerves overall. But. You have a guy like Cole Beasley who breaks his fibula and plays that game. Like the heart was there. The heart was there. Um, and they still made some good plays, but the Chiefs were just way too dominant. You know, anytime they had the ball, they were scoring. But also like one frustrating thing about the Chiefs and like, honestly, like I don't understand like NFL coaching. Like if I, we were watching this game and I forgot it was a big turning point on when the Chiefs got a first down. I forgot what it might have been in the first half, might have been in the second. I don't remember. But they showed three straight weeks of the same play of Tyreek. It's like it's like fourth and one. Tyreek Hill goes in motion, cuts back and goes in the backfield. And then either himself or the tight end or Travis Kelsey or the running back goes out in the flats and gets like 15 yards for the first down. They showed it three straight weeks in a row. It happened in the entire playoffs and week 16. And the play was lining up and it still happened. It's like, if you can't stop something that is so evident that they're like, hey, we're going to pass the ball on fourth and one in the right side of the flats, be ready. And they still get it. It's like, what are you doing there? What are you doing there? But the Chiefs, Moral of the story, good team, <laughs> great team, superb team. Will it be enough to do, to do some damage next week against the Bucks? That'll be the real question, or I say next week, but in two weeks, uh, we will break down the Super Bowl, give some predictions and more next week.
positivity corner, what do we have? Yes. So we have a cleaning lady by the name of Rosa who worked in the same building in New York for 20 years. Um, due Due to the pandemic, she unfortunately lost her job And uh, she was living in her sister's home, but despite the situation, she still turned up to work every day and, uh, you know, did not want to leave the people hanging in her building because she's built a lot of close relationships with them. And every day, smile on her face and kept cleaning all the uh, tenants that lived there. Um, Everyone was so touched by that. They were so appreciative that all of the tenants in the building saved their money, pooled it together and got a two-year lease on the top floor of the apartment, just remodeled for Rosa to live for free, all things covered. Um, It's a four-bedroom, three-bed, four-bedroom, three-bathroom property that in her building, it has a beautiful kitchen, it oversees the city. um, And all these people are just like, thank you so much for helping our lives just during this pandemic. We want to return the favor. So despite being laid off, she still came to work. She still did her job. And uh, there's not many people that would do that, you know, not many people that that would do that at all. So what a a great gift, a great, great uh, conscious effort by the people that live there. And, you know, congratulations on Rosa on the new beautiful home. Another feel good story, Positivity Corner, folks. That's our show. You can find us uh, on social media, anywhere you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple, and Anchor. And of course, our blog at house-enterprise.com. You can find all of our good content there. That's our show. We'll see you next week for our Super Bowl preview. That's Will and I'm Jake. So long, folks. Take it easy.